morning. And we uh, don't have enough time to really focus, so I am going slow on purpose, and uh, uh, hopefully you can put up with it. Uh, today, just 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Which says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So, the word flesh is used here. And the word flesh has several different meanings in the New Testament. and uh, But here it seems to be referring to the old self, the uh, unredeemed humanity of each of us. Um, similar to in Galatians 5.17 where it says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we struggle in ourselves even after we're Christians, with the part of us that was there before Christ intervened in our lives, and the part of us that is new, the new creation in us. In fact, the next verse talks about the new creation. Verse 17, we'll talk about that in two weeks. So these two parts, the old and the new, the flesh and the spirit, he's talking about that when he says, we regard no one anymore according to the flesh. Means we, we don't see anymore according to the flesh. We don't look at things according to the flesh anymore. We don't regard, we don't look at people the way we used to according to the flesh. And I think that uh, I'm not going to go into this, but my personal opinion is that Paul is subtly criticizing false apostles here and also defending himself. Um, he's basically bringing up the subject partially so that the Corinthians would see that these false apostles are making these accusations against him. They're not seeing things according to Christ. They're seeing things the way of the flesh. And uh, so this one of the ways Paul operates, and one of the ways he communicates in Corinthians especially, is he teaches things, he's very positive, he's very, you know, talks about principles, but there's also a part of it that's trying to help the Corinthian Christians to discern that these false apostles that have been infiltrating their congregation are not thinking according to Christ. But whether or not that's the case, God has given us a precious principle here in verse 16 by which we can live. So there are two parts. The first, the general. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And then under that general umbrella, he refers to how we used to regard Christ according to the flesh, but we don't do that any longer. So let's take the umbrella principle first. We regard no one according to the flesh. Because we no longer live by the flesh. Now that Christ has invaded our lives, 
We don't view people the way we used to view them. The implication here is that you know, he never talks about regarding people according to Christ, but that's implied in verse. So Christ transforms the way that we view people. So, for instance, let's just take a few examples. How, what does an unbeliever look like according to Christ? According to the flesh, it might be easy to view an unbeliever with either disgust As I was saying, uh, talking about what an unbeliever looks like. It, as I was saying, uh, talking about what an unbeliever looks like. It's easy to view an unbeliever with disgust, maybe, or maybe even with envy, according to the flesh. But the way Christ calls us to view the unbeliever is that they're not just made of earth. They're also made of heaven. And they desperately need to know the love of Christ. Just like we do. So how does the believer look according to Christ? In the flesh, we view fellow Christians maybe as worldly, maybe as legalistic, maybe as smart, maybe as shallow or whatever, but Christ wants us to view other Christians as the precious objects of his tender affection. His beloved ones, who though imperfect and constantly in need of his grace, are on their way to the presence of God in glory, where we will share sweet fellowship with them forever. How differently Christ sees his people from the way the world sees them. And we and Christ wants us to think according to the way he sees his people instead of the way the world sees them. The world may think the people of Christ are the scum of the earth. And often do. But God says they're the apple of his eye. And that the world is not worthy of them. You know the parable of the treasure hidden in the field that we, we find in Matthew 13, verse 44, where this man found a treasure buried in a field, and he covered it up, and he went and he got all of his money together, all of his assets, and sold everything and purchased the field so that he could have the treasure. And, you know, we talk about that as an illustration of, you know, how it's worth selling everything, you know, giving up everything else in order to have Christ. And that's true. But the field is the Christian. In some way, you can see the field is the Christian. And what makes the field valuable? The treasure in the field. This is a, a valuable piece of property here because it has the treasure of Christ in it. And so we view others as precious treasures because they have Christ. God's little ones are the reason that the world exists. They're the reason everything happens that happens. Even the wicked are raised up 
for the purpose of making known the riches of God's glory to the vessels of his mercy. Sorry about that. Okay. So, the very, even the wicked are raised up for the purpose of making known the riches of God's glory to the vessels of his mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 9.23 So when we view other believers in light of Christ, there should be awe involved. I mean... On the outside, maybe they don't look so awesome. But when we know what Christ says about them, we view them with awe. The world might be in awe about Tom Cruise. But we're in awe about Tom Hines. (laughs) The world might be in awe of Johnny Depp we're in awe of Johnny Poe the world may be in awe of about Elon Musk we're in awe about Elena Karen Jesus you see was the most loved and the most hated person in history and his followers those who are being made more and more like him will be characterized by that same attitude. We will be greatly loved. And we will also be bitterly despised. And when we view others through Christ's eyes, we view them as the celebrities of eternity. The ones who are so loved by Christ that he came and he died on the cross for them. So how does, how, you know, when we view things according to Christ, it changes how we see people. How do we view our spouses in light of the eyes of Christ? It's easy to be, grow accustomed to who, who your spouse is and maybe find them unspectacular as uh, sometimes selfish And it's easy to, you know, have some even disdain or disrespect towards them. However, the Lord has told us that our spouses are, in a sense, the one he has given. You know, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And of all the neighbors out there in the world, I want you to love this one the most. And not only that, but this one I have perfectly fashioned for you. So that you might be challenged, humbled, encouraged, inspired. She's my gift to you, or he's my gift to you. A husband is a picture also of Christ for us to revere and obey. And a wife is a God-given opportunity to show how Christ loves and sacrifices himself for his bride, the church. So how does Christ's perspective 
teach us how to view civil authorities. You know, in America, there's almost no rules about how to view, how to speak of civil authorities. It's, it's just fair game. But according to the scriptures, it is not fair game. Jesus calls us to view the ones over us, even though we see their failures, we see their weaknesses, we see their corruptions, but we also remember that He has put them over us. And He's told us to honor them because of that. To appreciate the things that they do for us. And pray for them as our leaders. How about the way that Christ changes the way we view ourselves? It's easy to view ourselves according to the flesh instead of according to Christ. Some view themselves with pride and a sense of superiority in the flesh. Others view themselves in the flesh as useless worms. Some people view others with suspicion. Maybe even claiming it as a justifying it on the basis of the fact that they're sinful. But they don't extend that same view of sin to themselves. They distrust everyone else and justify it. But they don't distrust themselves. They're not viewing themselves according to Christ, are they? On the other hand, some take the worm approach. And maybe even they justify it. Psalm 22.6 says... I am a worm and not a man. That's a champion verse. Some people memorize that and just love that verse. I'm not a worm and I am a worm and not a man. By the way, that verse, if you look at it in the context, it's not talking about, it's not saying something true. This person, the psalmist, is surrounded by enemies who are accusing him and, and falsely insulting him. And this is what they're saying. They're calling him a worm. That's the context of the passage. We are not worms. We're made in the image of God. Some people fluctuate between the two. Back and forth between pride and between being a worm. But the fact is God wants us to learn to see ourselves through Christ. As wicked sinners, yes. But beloved and redeemed by the Lamb, destined for glory with Him as well. You see, coming to Christ involves surrendering our evaluations of people to Him. We no longer rely on our intuition, or our feelings, or our first impressions, or our past experiences. We look to Christ to guide us to understand others and ourselves. We're not allowed to think of people however we like to think of people. We're not allowed to dislike someone just because we dislike them. We don't just have 
new love for people when we receive Christ's new life, but we actually have a new understanding of them. We have a new view of them, a new perspective of them because of Christ. And now the second part where Paul says that we no longer, that once we viewed Christ according to the flesh, but we no longer do so. Now, you know the story of Paul and his dramatic conversion. And Paul is probably remembering the time when that happened and how his view of Christ before that was according to the flesh. And that's a, it's a wonderful but not pretty story. Before he was a Christian, Paul regarded Christ according to the flesh and then he met Christ on the road to Damascus the scales fell from his eyes and then he viewed Christ in a completely different way when someone asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was he wasn't content to just give one answer you know, what is the great, greatest commandment and he said two love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and there's a second one like it he said Love your neighbor as yourself. But of course, and those two are reflected here. You know, it talks about loving, uh, I mean, viewing others according to the flesh and then viewing Christ according to the flesh. And the order is switched. But you see, the, the point is the same. We, we love Christ. We see Christ and love Him and we see others and love them. And it, it all springs, of course, from seeing Christ differently. And then his, that vision transforms the way we view others. When people operate by the flesh, no one seeks after God. We, by nature, we hate the Lord. And the Lord works on us, and the Lord transforms us. And we come to see that the person we thought was our enemy is our greatest friend. The person we thought of as our enslaver is actually our deliverer. The one who we thought of as the great poisoner of our lives is actually the great healer of our lives. But of course, unless the Spirit does this work, people remain bent against the Lord. And this includes very smart people. It includes scientists. It includes historians. They may be very objective and scientific in the areas of their study, but when it comes to the question of who Christ is, they're just like every other unredeemed sinner. For the mindset and the flesh is death, Paul says. And the, but the mindset and the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset and the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's Romans 8. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus says later in John 6. So this is why wherever Jesus went, 
People were divided into two distinct groups. Those who saw him for who he was. And those who saw him according to the flesh. You can just read the gospel of John sometime with this in mind. John 7. There was much grumbling among the multitudes concerning him, Jesus. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the multitudes astray. So right from the very first blush when Jesus comes and begins to minister, these two groups begin to divide. Because people, some people are given the ability to see who he is and others are seeing him completely according to the flesh. Later on in that same chapter, some of the multitude therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. But still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has Excuse me. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So, there arose a division in the multitude because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. So again, this big divide that begins. John 9, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And this goes on and on. Over and over. It divides mankind. Who is Jesus? Between what they, whether they see him with the flesh or they see him by the spirit. This is why you can, you know, people can go to a, a church or hear a message or read a book and one person hates it and another person loves it now there's all sorts of other reasons why this can happen too but but it's it's remarkable what a difference it makes whether you see something according to the flesh or according to the spirit who is Jesus Christ that's the question that's the biggest question facing mankind is the biggest question facing each one of us But you can't answer that question correctly until the Lord transforms your heart and opens your eyes. He opens our eyes to see that He's not our enemy, but the greatest friend we could ever have. So each one of us needs to ask ourselves, who do I think He is? Some see Him as a harsh taskmaster. As a result of their childhood, perhaps. Some see him as a stained glass, super religious guy in strange clothes that always holds his hands like this and does strange things like putting his hands on people all the time and raising his hands up in the air. For me, when I was young, my first impression of Jesus was that he was the master of boringness. Now, I know that's probably not a word. But you can't, it doesn't, I don't mean boredom. I mean, he was the ultimate boring person. As far as I could tell. And, and yet, when my eyes were opened, 
He was the most fascinating, awesome person that I'd ever known. And so, you know, you have a, a group of people. And maybe everybody in your group thinks that he, he's boring. That doesn't mean he is. They just have scales on their eyes. He is not boring. You know, the word worship comes from the, from the old English, worth Ship. Worthship. It, it's a word that is talking about how worthy or valuable someone is. And when we, when we recognize someone who is, or something that is extremely valuable, there's this thing that happens in us, and that's worship. We stand in awe, we wonder. And you know, you see this when, when uh, somebody gets close to a celebrity sometimes. You know, it's like, wow, you should have seen what I saw today. And, uh, and this is worship. This is worship. I've often uh, thought, wouldn't it be amazing to be an expert at antiques and at art and stuff like that and just go around all the yard sales and, and just walk through it all with eyes to see that this is really valuable. This is a piece of junk. And, you know, for me, I, don't, I can't tell. I don't know anything. And so it doesn't do me any good. But someone who has the eyes to see, he, you know, and he, he says, oh, I'll give, you, I'll give you a price for that. And he walks away without a smile on his face. And then he gets in the car, yes, yes, yes. Because he knows what he just put in his trunk. This is worship. We understand the value of something. One Sunday in the early 80s, which is a little bit before some of you were here, uh, I was teaching Sunday school. I was done with one year of seminary and I was doing an internship, similar to Philip now, and I was teaching a class on interpreting the Bible. And uh, so we had a little group of maybe 12 people in a circle and I gave my lesson and I was very confident, you know, just like most people have finished one year of seminary, they think they know everything. And so, um, I'm not trying to insult Philip. <laughs> he's, he's smiling like <laughs> I wasn't thinking of you. Anyway, I was thinking of me. But um, so after the class, there's a Sven Tulin, for those of you who remember, uh, introduces me to a childhood friend that he brought with him that day uh, and it turns out that this guy is a New Testament professor at Trinity Seminary in Chicago and not only is he a New Testament professor but, he, but he's a famous New Testament professor after one year of seminary I well knew Harold O.J. Brown by, by his reputation and in fact he was one of my heroes and here he was sitting in my class the whole time and you know, so my view of this stranger in the group went from thinking he's just some person who's learning from me to wow, <laughs> this. And it was very humbling, of course, to uh, to think that I just taught like I knew what I was talking about when he was sitting there the whole time. 
but the point is, wow, did my view of who this person is change radically just when I came to realize who he was. And this, this is the, uh, you know, we, this is what happens when our eyes are open, when we have knowledge of something. It changes and we see the value in it. And we're willing to, you know, something that before was, was of no consequence. And here I am, how many ever many years ago, 30 something years ago, I'm, now I I'm still remember, I'm telling you the story. Because it had such an impression on me. And this is the way it works. When we see Christ, he works in our, in our lives, we see him, and, we, and it changes us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Just, we talked about this, you know, last fall or something. We all with unveiled face. Here's the idea. We, we were blind. We didn't see it. Now, we have unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is what's happening to us. That God is opening our eyes and then when we see Him and as we focus on Him and as we study Him we are transformed and we become like Him so that we see more and more according to Him instead of according to the way that we used to think. Merely our human selves. And that's that it's got to start with Him. You've got to see the Lord before you can love Him. And you've got to see people according to the Lord before you can really love them. So the, the command to love isn't just a command to, to love, be nice, to do good things. It's a command to see people differently. See people as they really are. And then the love will follow because you'll have that awe in who they are, even in an unbeliever, because he's made in the image of God. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea, and he says, You say, I am rich, I have prospered, there is nothing that I need. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. So the three things here that God tells us, He has for us. Come to me and I'll give you these things, he says. The first one is gold, so that you may be rich. In other words, realize that I'm your treasure. Come to me, I'll give you the treasure. This is where to get treasure, from me. This isn't talking about, come to Jesus and he'll make you rich. You know, you'll be able to buy whatever you want. It's not the point here. You'll have him and you'll be rich. The second thing is, he'll clothe you so that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. He will cover up your sin. He will cover you so that you don't need to be ashamed because his blood has covered all your sin like we sang this morning. 
But the third one is one I want to focus on this, this morning. To get salve, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. One of the things that Christ gives to us is he, he makes us able to see. You know, when we were, before Christ, we see certain things, but we're blind to so much. But when we come to Christ, He gives us what we need so that we begin to see things as they really are. We begin to see people as they really are. We begin to see the world as it really is. We begin to see ourselves as we are. And more and more we see Christ as He is. That's what this verse is talking about. We don't see others. We don't see Christ any longer according to the flesh. But we see Him according to Christ. According to the Spirit. And that transforms the way that we live. Now as we come to the table today, I just want to put before you the question, who do you think Jesus is? Because this is a representation of Jesus, but it's not very awesome. It's just a hunk of bread. It's hidden from our eyes. But the eye of faith the eye that has had the blinders removed recognizes that Jesus he listens to we listen to his word and we recognize that Jesus says this is my body and therefore we seek him in it and we expect to find him in it so let's pray Heavenly Father Thank you. Thank you for this gift of your Son. And now, Lord, as we partake of the bread and the wine, we ask that you would be at work in us through it this morning. That we might see in it your love, your invitation to us, you're extending yourself to us. You're giving up yourself for us. Your sacrifice on our behalf. And that we would also see in it, O oh Lord, the fact that you are our strength. And that we, we don't just stay far apart from you and know you from afar, but, but we receive you into our own hearts and you become our strength and you become the one who drives us and gives us power help us today O oh Lord to see Christ in the sacrament as we partake of it we pray in his dear name Amen